Well, this is not the first time that we've heard about Mary Magdalene, but she does figure large in our gospel story for today. So who is this lady? Who is Mary of Magdala? Well, first of all, Magdala is a town about 12 miles from Capernaum, which was the center of Jesus's ministry in Galilee on the northwest, northern uh, tip of the Sea of Galilee. So about a two-hour journey by foot, if they'd had cars, then it's about a 12-minute journey. So very close by. Um, and we read in Scripture that uh, Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. Unfortunately, um, in later centuries, the church fathers added um, something to that. They conflated Mary of Magdala with another uh, woman in the Gospels and made of Mary Magdalene a prostitute, which she was not. We don't hear of that anywhere. Um, in fact, the early, earliest church called her the apostle to the apostles. So Mary is this woman. Uh, she's uh, evidently independently wealthy. We don't hear about a spouse. But she and some other women, after she's been healed, after she's healed of this demon possession, follows Jesus around with some other women and provide financially for him and the other disciples. We hear this in Luke. After this, Jesus traveled from one city and village to another. He spread the good news about God's kingdom. The 12 apostles were with him. Also, some women were with him. They had been cured from evil spirits and various illnesses. These women were Mary, also called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, whose husband Husa was Herod's administrator, Susanna, and many other women. They provided financial support for Jesus and his disciples. I wonder how many times you've actually heard that part of the story, that here were these women who were following along, who were a larger band of Jesus' followers, um, who were following along with the 12. Now, we know that there was a fairly large number of Jesus' followers. Um, we hear in the epistle there were about 500. Um, and when they chose somebody to replace um, Judas in the Acts of the Apostles to make up the number to the full number to the 12, we hear that it had to have been somebody who was with Jesus from the time of his baptism in the Jordan to the time of his death and his resurrection. And uh, there's anywhere between 400 and 500 of these followers. Um, And so the women were a part of this. So very early on in his three-year ministry, Mary has been following him. She's heard all of his teaching, and she has seen all of the miracles that he has done, the healing miracles that he has done. And here on Good Friday, she and the other women, when the disciples had all deserted Jesus, were at the foot of the cross or nearby with John, the beloved disciple. John 19 Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, 
Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. They, the one, they were the ones who stayed on that terrible Friday to keep vigil with Jesus as he was on the cross. How difficult that must have been for Mary Magdalene. Imagine with me, if you will, what it was like that first morning of the week. It's before dawn. It's it's dark. They've had to stay in their homes since Friday evening for the Sabbath because the day began at dusk and then went through the next day. And so at dusk on Good Friday, they were constrained to not move out of their homes. Days, all of the days had probably merged together for Mary from Magdala because she had cried so many tears that she had lost count of the days and the nights. She couldn't remember getting home or to the house she was staying at on that Good Friday. She just knew that that's where she was. The image that was seared into her memory was those last hours on the day before the Sabbath. The disciples had come and told them immediately that Jesus had been arrested, and they'd seen it all. The jeering crowds, the fake trial, the scourging, that painful walk to the outskirts of the city, and then the agony, the nails in his dear body. It was more than they could stand, but she and the other women couldn't leave him to die alone, couldn't leave him on the cross by himself, and there with them was John. For six hours, they stayed watching their Lord on the cross. His death came sooner than they expected because death could take actually days through crucifixion. But after six hours, he raised himself up, shouted those last words when she thought her heart would break and then he was dead, gone In the midst of the pain, all the memories came rushing back for Mary of Magdala. All of those days with Jesus, listening to him speak, seeing him heal, the hope that they had in him all dashed, all gone. He'd freed her of her demons She would have done anything for him, followed him anywhere. But he was gone. And she carried, seared in her memory, the image of that dear body, broken and bleeding, empty of life. She remembered Joseph of Arimathea had gone to Pilate, asked for the body, and they'd taken him down with Nicodemus, who'd come at nighttime, and they'd laid him in a fresh-hewn tomb in the rock, one that was actually made for Joseph, 
And they'd hastily covered his body with the linens. She really hadn't had time to say goodbye. Because the Sabbath was coming and they had to close up the tomb and go back into the city. She didn't really remember how she'd gotten back to that house. Her eyes stung from the tears, puffed almost closed. It was hard for her to breathe. In the grief, it felt like she had a metal jacket around her chest. She couldn't even take a full breath. And then when she thought the crying was done, out of nowhere, her body was wrenched once again with deep sobs and tears. She couldn't stand it any longer. Even though it was still dark, she started to run out of the house. Finally, lifting up her skirts as the dew from the ground made the hem of her skirt wet as it slapped against her ankles, lifting it, running, half running, half stumbling, not even noticing the sharpness of the stones underneath her feet, sobbing as she went, looking down the road to Bethany where they'd been with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and even further down to Galilee where those demons had been cast out and she'd been made free for the first time. And then she arrived in the garden and she knew immediately something was wrong. Because the stone in front of the tomb had been removed and she immediately left and ran back to the house where Peter and the other disciples were. They've taken the Lord and I don't know where they've laid his body. And Peter and John head on out from the house. And they're faster than she is because she's winded and she can hardly keep up with them. But she stumbles and she's crying. And she follows on behind them. And she comes to the tomb. And she sees John look in. And then step back. And then Peter gets there. And he goes right in. And then John follows after him. And then both of them leave. And she's left by herself. And she looks in. And there on the slab are the empty linens with no body. But at either end, there are two men in white robes. And they're asking her, who are you looking for? Why are you crying? She says, they've taken my Lord out of the tomb. Please, please, if you know where they've taken him, let me know. Where have they laid my Lord? Just one last time. Just to see his body one last time. Do you know where they've taken my Lord. And then she feels somebody 
more than knows somebody behind her. And as the sun is rising, so the figure is in darkness, the gardener asks her the same question. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Do you know, she says, have you taken him away? Please, I just want his body. If I can't have things the way they were, then just at least let me have his body so that I can prepare it as it should be. Take the time to anoint it with oils. If you've taken it away, Tell me where it is. I'll fetch it. One word changed Mary's life forever. One word. It was her name on our Savior's lips. Because it wasn't the gardener. It was Jesus raised from the dead. Mary. And in that moment, her world is changed forever. But not just her world. Our world. The whole cosmos is changed forever. If the scourged, blooded, pierced, and crucified body that she had seen laid in a tomb was alive again, the same and yet different, then not only was her life changed, but there had been a cataclysmic change in the entire world order. And Jesus chose Mary to be the first evangelist, to give that message to the apostles. In this new alive body, he could have chosen to appear in the upper room. He could have chosen to appear in the tomb to Peter and John. He chose to appear to Mary of Magdala, who in her grief was weeping at the tomb. And it changed to unrestrained joy as the Lord says to her, Mary, go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And this time, with a lightness of step, she speeds back to the disciples and shouts out, I have seen the Lord. On Good Friday, it seemed that hope had died. But at the empty tomb, at this empty tomb, hope could never die again. On Good Friday, fear won the day. But at the empty tomb, there is no longer anything to fear. 
On Good Friday, it seemed that death had conquered. At the empty tomb, death has been conquered forever. On Good Friday, it seemed that we would remain dead in our sins. At the empty tomb, our sins have died with Christ. And we are, through baptism, eternally alive in him. On Good Friday, this world's ruler and our enemy, the Satan, seemed to have won the day. But at the empty tomb, Jesus is the victor and revealed as the world's true king. On Good Friday, it seemed that Jesus' life had flown out from him. At the empty tomb, Jesus, having passed through death, is alive and will never die. On Good Friday, it seemed that all had come to an end. At the empty tomb, it is just the beginning. It is, friends, just the beginning. At some point in all of our lives, we are like Mary grieving at the empty tomb, suffocating in grief, wanting to turn the clock back, to go back to the way the things were. But Jesus is here. He's still outside the empty tomb. He's not locked within. And as he spoke to Mary over 2,000 years ago, in the stillness of the morning, he still speaks to you. And I, because your name is on the Savior's lips. It has been there since he knit you together in your mother's womb. And when you were brought forth, he rejoiced. And your name is on his lips. He is speaking it with such tenderness. It is just the beginning. Have you heard him call your name? He never stops speaking your name. It is cherished on his lips and in his heart. So may we today walk again through that doorway into new life, into the new life in Christ, where the power of sin and the fear of death has lost dominion, where the power of God, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is at work in those of us who believe and who, like Benjamin, shortly will be have been baptized into the death of Christ 
and raised to new life in him. Listen. In the stillness, your name is on his lips. Amen.